Well, I mean, Charles Wesley, greatest hymn writer of all time. I mean, you're you're kind mm-hmm. of understating the case. Uh, and Can It Be was my class <laughs> hymn at Asbury College. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, we always used to rib the class before us who picked Shine Jesus Shine as their class hymn. We're like, Psh, come on. Oh, my. So, Well, hello, and welcome to another crackling episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken, as I like to call it, Brother Ken's Traveling Salvation Show. Actually, I don't necessarily like to call it that, but we could call it that, and it'd be okay, probably. Yeah, but I should be in a tent. Maybe so. Well, it's going to be an intense episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken. Uh, It's a production of the Coming Home Network. been going to a little of my own story, but before we get to that, I want to remind people to check out chnetwork.org if you want to hear more stories or find more episodes of On the Journey, or uh, if you are on a journey of your own and looking for some fellowship and encouragement and some people to pray with you along the way, please do check out our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. Ken, I've I've spilled my guts over the last few episodes, and um, I gotta say, I just feel uh, I feel heard. I feel heard. I hear you. No, you know what? Um, I'm going to make sure I don't spill my guts when it becomes my turn. I'm just going to be very analytical and surface and sounds good. But anyway, it's been good to hear. It's been good to hear your story so far. So Matt is someone who used to play music and do other things, and you were from the Methodist tradition mainly, who became Catholic. I'm from the Baptist tradition. I was a Baptist pastor and became Catholic, and that's what we're talking about. And we're doing a series in which we're backing off from kind of a maniacal focus on various theological issues to just tell our personal stories. How did we come to faith in Christ? What happened after that? And then how in the world did we become Catholic over time? That's the question that we're asking. And I've been interviewing Matt for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue today. What are we talking about today, though, Matt? Yeah, so we've been uh, doing these episodes, and they've sort of been following the model of the Coming Home Network retreats that we do. And if you go to um, chnetwork.org slash retreats, you can find out how to get involved with those, especially if you're mm-hmm. a current pastor. Um, let us know. We'd love to you know, talk about scholarships to get you out to one of those. But uh, this is the stage in the retreat where we talk about being at home in the Catholic Church. And um, that's kind of what I'm going to focus on is is how I kind of came home and was at home. Uh, you mentioned okay. that I was a former Methodist. That's a, I mean, sort That's of. a bald-faced lie? No, it's not. It's a ballpark figure <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> so baptized uh, in a United Methodist Church, then I was a Nazarene, and then I was a Free Methodist, and I attended a Wesleyan tradition college. Uh, but John okay. Wesley's thought was in the back of that. And uh, in a lot of ways, being at home in the Catholic Church and coming to terms with the Catholic understanding of a lot of different stuff, um, that was made fairly easy, or I'd say easier than it is for most when it came to me approaching Mm -hmm. some of the adjustments I'd have to make to my theology uh, as a Catholic. Uh, For one, you know, I I know in a lot of Catholic-Protestant conversations, Catholics will say, oh, well, Protestants, they believe in sola scriptura. And 
we did sort of, but we also kind of didn't. Uh, John Wesley had this thing, and I didn't really yeah, learn the about fold. it. You, yeah, you the fourfold I, thing, right? Yeah, it wasn't until college that I kind of learned how this was articulated, but he had the quadrilateral quadrilateral of word, tradition, reason, and experience being kind of the four legs of the stool of authority, with word, the Bible, being the biggest leg of the stool. And so when I came over and was adjusting to the Catholic understanding of scripture, tradition, and the magisterium, that was a lot easier for me to kind of mm-hmm. understand. You know, another thing, too, is that a lot of Catholics and Protestants talk about, you know, Catholics, when they're trying to debate Protestants, they'll say, well, faith alone doesn't work, and they'll start on the faith alone question. I was, we talked faith alone, but we didn't think faith alone. Uh, we thought about, like, the necessity of holiness. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about it all the time. Uh, and John Wesley talked about the necessity yeah. of of care for the poor and, and doing the uh, works of mercy acts of charity so even faith alone wasn't i mean that that transition was eased for me by the thought of john wesley and you know i would say also uh the catholic understanding of um of salvation i was not a once saved always saved protestant at all i was a sin once and go to hell protestant (laughs) you know this is kind of uh my tradition and so uh you know you know, that's, I want to tell you something. There's various applications of that, but that's, you know, yeah. sin could cut you off and you could you had to repair that. You weren't once saved, always saved in my tradition. I want to mention something about John Wesley quickly. I was on vacation a few months ago when I was in Savannah, Georgia, and I'm walking through the old part of the city and I see this church and I start reading the sign out front and it said that John Wesley was the pastor there for like one or two years in the mid 1700s and then George Whitfield was the pastor there and it, it, and it just blew me away but I but I guess the thing that strikes me is that I've been a Catholic now Matt for 25 years and yet I still have a tremendous love for these people you know oh my gosh, like yes. I used to I used to read Whitfield all the time and I read John Wesley you know there's my struggle between Calvinism and, and the Arminian Wesleyanism because I loved him so much and Charles Wesley the greatest hymn writer ever oh my and gosh so, yes. When I saw that church, though, you know, I've been a Catholic for 25 years now, and I didn't, I didn't respond viscerally with, ah, heretic, you know, walk away. I actually was really moved, and I wished I could go inside the church and look around, you know, knowing that those guys had actually been the pastors of that place. Yeah. Well, I mean, Charles Wesley, greatest hymn writer of all time. I mean, you're, you're kind mm-hmm. of understating the case. Uh, and Can It Be was my class <laughs> hymn at Asbury College. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, we always used to rib the class before us who picked Shine Jesus Shine as their class hymn. We're like, come on. Oh, my. So, <laughs> uh, and, oh my. you know, in these, in, in the Coming Home Network, in a lot of our testimonies, we refer to people yeah. as former this and former that. And uh, I like to say, you know, some people time, sometimes refer to me as a former Wesleyan. And uh, the reality is mm-hmm. that I'm also kind of a current Wesleyan. So <laughs> there's uh, yeah. there's a lot of that that was sort of greased yeah. for me. Okay. Um, and so those, a lot of those theological problems that are, that are real issues for other people were not as big of issues for me, including the fact that John Wesley had a communion service that he had sort of drawn up, and we used it a couple of times uh, in my Free Methodist congregation. And I was like, wow, um, why don't we talk about Holy Communion like this all the time? And then I think prepared mm-hmm, me uh, mm-hmm. for, for receiving the, the Catholic doctrine of the Eucharist when it happened. But, um, but coming at home in the church, you know, a lot of the issue was— sort of getting home in the church and that involved some walls that I hit just trying to go through RCIA and 
you're gonna yeah tell us how tell us how you became catholic partly laugh and partly cry at some of this uh okay i had as we mentioned in previous episodes gone through all the things that i thought that i needed to resolve Mm -hmm. intellectually and theologically to become catholic um i was preparing to you know marry my wife and i wanted to become catholic in the course of the process of that Mm -hmm. um we ended up getting married in december before i became catholic we did not have communion at my wedding. It was not a mass because my whole side of the church was Protestant. Her side of the church was half Protestant, and the half that was Catholic, half of that uh, wasn't really mass going, <laughs> you know, or right. or it was right. to varying degrees of of right. activity in their Catholic church. So, um, but it was the first mass that most of my family had ever been to, and it was probably the first Catholic church that a bunch of my family had ever been in. So we get to the part, and uh, you know Catholics are very familiar with this. Some Protestants who visited Catholic churches may have had this happen to them. But we get to the part where we're praying the Lord's Prayer together, and typically mm-hmm. at the end of um, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." There's a pause in the Mass, and yeah, in this case, the deacon, uh, usually it's the priest, says, "You know, deliver us, Lord, from every evil." And, and yeah. you know, a few other things. And then we all kind of come back for the doxology. But my Kentucky and Tennessee family just plowed on through. <laughs> so only half the congregation was like, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Yes. Forever. So, okay. uh, yeah. So, yeah, there were some, some of those rough kind of weird, awkward. I mean, it was something we could laugh about now. I was just, you know, wanted to break down and cry in the moment, I think. Um, but going to RCIA, I had a difficult time. Um, because I was in Cincinnati, and this is 2003, 2004 when I began working on mm-hmm. this. And the thing is, is that Cincinnati is a cradle Catholic town, which meant it was a very normal thing to be Catholic, but it was a really weird mm-hmm. thing to become Catholic. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were used to people being Catholic. They just weren't used to, in the churches that I approached, used to people asking to become Catholic. So yeah, yeah. Um, I won't name names, but one place I went and inquired um, it was, I think, in the winter months, and they're like, this is great that you're interested. Why don't you come back in September? We have a series of classes uh, that you yeah, can take. Yeah. And I was like, "What are you? are you kidding me? If I'd asked the Baptist, they'd be like, all right, brother, let's pray. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, bear in mind, I just read recently, you know, about John Henry Newman, who had come to this realization he needed to become part of Holy Mother Church. And so in Newman's mm-hmm. story, he walks through the rain to Dominic Barbieri's place and says, mm-hmm. get out the oils before I change my mind. And I'm thinking that's what's going to happen. And of course it's not. Um, and then they're like, yeah, another, come back in 10 months, right? Nine right. months or whatever it was. Uh, another church that I went to was walking distance from me uh, during a brief period when I was without transportation. And mm-hmm. so I was like, hey, I'd love to become Catholic. And the pastor was like, well, you know, that's great, but we don't have a DRE right now and I'm pretty <coughs> busy. But if you go oh, um, to this one parish that's uh, you know, a couple miles down the road, they'll do your RCIA, and then you can come back here for the Easter vigil, and we'll confirm you here. And I'm like, did you not hear me say I don't have a car right now? Um, I mean, this is my broke rock and roll days um, mm-hmm. when I when I made that approach. Uh, that was very frustrating. Another one, my wife was mm. taking some classes, and there was an RCIA. It was a rolling kind of year-round RCIA thing mm-hmm. uh, happening at a parish connected with where she was taking classes and 
I, they asked me why I wanted to become Catholic. And I mentioned Chesterton and Flannery O'Connor and all the other people. And then mm-hmm. I said something to the effect of, you know, I've had like my, a conversion of my imagination. And at this point, I'm trying to work out the nuts and bolts. So I've been, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, listening to Catholic radio and picking up some apologetics and the ex-nun running the program sort of stiffened up at that point. She's like, well, we don't have any time or patience for apologetics around here. Oh, and I was like, man, all right. <laughs> okay. I, did, I wasn't well, aware I'm not of gonna, all the infighting. I, I, I'm not going to break but, down and cry, but I understand what you're saying about, you know, it, 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 these stories are too common, and it's it really is so sad. I mean, it, They're it, less it's common now than they were then. Yeah, it, it's not universal. There are many priests and many, you know, that are excited to see someone come oh, in, yeah. but, but that has happened to people. So here you are, you know, here you are coming through this major conversion experience and falling in love with the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith and you want to become Catholic and then you go to the door and it's like no room Slam in the Slam doors everywhere I turn, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, it is so much better now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so much, I mean, we still we still hear the occasional horror story from the people who approach us at the Coming Home Network, right. but I had right. some really frustrating experiences right. and sometimes people are like, oh, converts make the best Catholics. I'm like, that's because you weeded out anybody who was slightly on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> with your prohibitive policies at the parish level. Um, well, I eventually... I had, I had this oh, friend from Kentucky. I had this friend from Kentucky one time that, that had a bunch of great one-liners. You know, one of them was, you know, she was so buck-toothed that she could eat an apple through a picket fence. That was one of them. And another one was, I used to go to these bars. He goes, they were so rough. He said, you had to box your way in and box your way back out again. <laughs> Thinking, that's kind of the image you're given at the church where... Yeah, no wonder converts are the best Catholics if you have to fight like a mad dog to get through the door. Yeah, and again, it's, case, so much be- like. it's so much better now. Um, and a lot of things have happened to, to kind of adjust that. But uh, yeah. I finally ended up, um, my wife and I were living in the boy house and the girl house of a Catholic worker house that, uh, that was mm-hmm. connected. It wasn't connected with the parish. As a matter of fact, it wasn't connected much with Catholicism very formally at all. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> We're able to get pre-Cana and my RCIA taken care of uh, over there. Um, but even that, you know, yeah. RCIA has come a long way. And uh, I had a wonderful sponsor. He's a wonderful guy. But there were a lot of things that I just wasn't really taught. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my first confession. I wasn't really prepared for confession. But I knew through my own study that I needed to go to confession before I received my first communion. And so I went down on Holy Thursday to the cathedral in Covington, the same one that I had said, this is a big building to build based on an assumption. I went down there for my first confession and uh, behind me was this nervous guy. And I also hadn't learned any confession etiquette, right? So I don't know, you don't just strike up small talk in the confessional line, you know, um, but you don't. Oh yeah, yeah, no. But turns out that this guy had just um, gotten out of prison and he was... Uh, wanting to start this new chapter of his his life right. And it was just striking me in that moment that here I am unloading 25 years worth of sins. Here's a guy unloading. I don't. I have no idea uh, what he was in for. I didn't ask. But we're both going to come out the exact same from the sacrament. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. just a cool thing. And, and I got to say, mm-hmm. that first confession, I was not prepared at all for the emotional wallop that it was going to pack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd gone down to the altar and confessed my sins, sometimes tearfully over the years, but I was not prepared uh, mm-hmm. for how much I was going to be emotionally rocked uh, and mm-hmm. hearing those words of absolution for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's always held a special place in my heart since uh, confession. 
But yeah, I was received into the church Easter Vigil, 2005. Uh, John Paul II was dead in a week. It was a mm-hmm. wild time to enter the church. Um, next thing you know, I blink and we've got a new pope. Um, Benedict XVI was elected. And it was kind of the church entering into a new era as I was entering into a, a new era of faith. Um, it was a strange time to become Catholic, but you know, I think it was a really instructive time to become Catholic as well because Pope Benedict was in a lot of ways a, a, a really great mentor to a guy who was wired the way that I was mm-hmm. um, to think about the church. So I, I'm really grateful for, for kind of getting my sea legs through the lens of, of having him as a teacher at the top of the church. You're not only entering the Catholic Church, but you're entering marriage at the same time yeah. to a woman who was already Catholic, you know, uh, and so, so, so your whole life is changing all at the same time. In a big way, in a very large way. And I got to say that in all of this, I, you know, I'm starting to get involved on a volunteer basis uh, and eventually like a part-time paid basis with Catholic Radio. And Catholic Radio really was mm-hmm. huge for me. And um, I just want to say to anybody out there who is looking for some great resources to help them kind of get their head around the Catholic stuff, uh, it is amazing to me that every day Jimmy Aiken just sits in front of a microphone and you're able to just ask him stuff publicly and <laughs> I just listened to people People ask Jimmy Aiken the craziest questions on Catholic Answers. It was so helpful to me. Um, Dr. David Anders mm-hmm. didn't have his show yet, um, but the ability to be able to just listen to a guy like Dr. David Anders, ask him literally anything. It's amazing. You know, Jimmy Aiken was at Catholic Answers. I think he was very recently at Catholic Answers when I began my journey into the Catholic Church. And since he's down in San Diego... And I was up in the L.A. area. Uh, we actually began to meet. He drove halfway up. He he, he did this a number wow. of times. He drove halfway up to L.A. and I drove halfway down. And we met at a restaurant and uh, became friends. And I was cool. able to ask him a lot of, a lot of questions. He was very knowledgeable even back then. Well, I love the fact that he was, you know, kind of into quirky sci-fi stuff. I was like, Catholics can yeah. be like normal and interesting and fascinating people. Um, but Catholic Radio was helpful and Daily Mass was helpful too because I could. Mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to learn the mass. I wanted to learn the responses. I didn't want to be the only person like standing there with my jaw open while people were praying the Nicene Creed. And so listening right, to the right. mass on Catholic radio was, was a really helpful way for me to get my sea legs with that. Um, and going to daily mass because daily mass, you can kind of hear it in a way that you don't feel like you're in a room full of people who everybody knows mm-hmm. what's going on, but you, it's easier mm-hmm. when you're in a room of a few dozen people and you're the only one that doesn't know what's going on. So, so, so you started you started very early going to mass every day. Not every day, but daily mass when I could yeah, go. Okay, um, okay, okay, was really helpful to me. And you know, it, I I didn't come from any kind of Christian tradition that had daily stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, it, there wasn't like a daily Methodist service. Um, I mean, we had chapel service oh, three no, times no. a week at my college, but there was nothing like nothing like daily mass. Um, and it was no, I, the weirdest thing in the world when you'd go to a daily mass sometimes and you'd hear the the pastor get up and proclaim the gospel and then just sit mm-hmm. down <laughs> for like 30 seconds and then get up and then we've moved on. It was such a jarring experience for me. And this is there's so many ways that I had to sort of adjust my expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was I don't know how I spent so much of my life um, thinking that the Catholic Church 
kept the scriptures from people, when you could go to a daily mass and have somebody literally just say the words of the gospel, not expound on them at all, not elaborate at all, and that's your homily. <laughs> like your homily, you don't get a homily. It's just literally, there's the word of God. It's out there. <laughs> like that was yeah. kind of a jarring, <laughs> a jarring reality, yeah. but I loved it. Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of converts have made the comment, and and I make it as well too, that I was surprised when I began to go to mass at how much Bible there was, because of the fact that in every mass there's an Old Testament passage that's read, and then there's a Psalm that's read, and then well on Sunday mass there's a New Testament from from the epistles are reading, and then from the Gospels. And I Matt, I one thing I thought about a lot is that I, I was a Baptist pastor for eleven years, and I preached expositorily. So I would preach through a book. Let's say I'm preaching through the, the Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and let's say I'm taking like six months to do it or something like that. During those six months, when I think about it, the people in my congregation, they heard the reading at the beginning of the passage I was going to preach on, and then they heard me preaching on the passage, and they heard me tying in other portions of Scripture and whatnot, but they could go for years without hearing the Gospels read, you know? And... Uh, Yet in the Catholic Church, actually, there's a lot of Bible being read. But the point you make is really good, too, that sometimes a priest could just read it and sit down, you know, which in a way you could say, ah, you know, he's got nothing to say. There's no sermon. But on the other hand, like you just said, he's basically communicating, look, the words speak for themselves. Here yeah, it is. And it's interesting. Hearing the scripture in the context of the Mass was a real adjustment for me on a number of levels because I was hearing passages that I'd never heard publicly mm-hmm. proclaimed. I mean, I heard Bible in and Bible out every church I ever went to, but it, it there were certain things that just kind of got skipped over or, um, you know, especially when I was in the Church yeah. of the Nazarene, the pastor would say, well, the I felt all week that the Lord was wanting me to preach on this passage, but I woke up earlier this morning and I feel like the Lord's calling me to preach on this, right? It was just mm-hmm. changed. And very often because of that mentality, you'd get you know, sort of the passages that the pastor was often drawn to. You wouldn't get, like we yeah. get in the church, uh, you're going to hear the whole Bible, whether you're interested in this piece or not. And as a result, also, the way that the church put them together, I was seeing connections between the Old and the New Testament that I hadn't yes. seen before, where I was seeing, yeah. um, I mean, Scripture's just like bursting off the page for me in the course of this. But I was seeing also like passages from the New Testament that go together that I wouldn't think of or or occasions. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. So recently we celebrated um, on January 25th, the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. So mm-hmm. the gospel reading, we gotta, gotta, gotta have a gospel reading as part of the mass, but there's no gospel. Paul, St. Paul's not mentioned in any of the gospels. Mm-hmm. So here's the gospel reading. It's from Mark chapter 16. Jesus appears to the 11 and says to them, go to the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons and speak new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing. It was like, that is St. Paul in a nutshell, right? He literally got bit by a snake on Malta. Um, Just connections like popping everywhere. And I think that was what was so much fun about those first days. And it's really never slowed down. I've been a Catholic since 2005. And it's just nonstop scripture after scripture kind of, they're all connecting on a big board. 
because of the way they connect, a sermon is being preached, even if the person, I mean, even if the of priest course. doesn't preach a sermon. I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit coming down on the tabernacle and filling it with a cloud of glory, and then later on, the Holy Spirit coming down on Solomon's temple and filling it cloud of glory, and then yeah. all of a sudden the Annunciation, and the angel Gabriel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You know, it, it, it's like you're instantly going, oh wow, this all ties together. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about baptism, but baptism mm-hmm. is a perfect example. Like when I was going through and trying to figure out what the Bible said about baptism, I'd get out of Strong's Concordance and I would look up how many times does the word baptism occur, right? right. And now I'm starting to think about how, how the church thinks about it. Um, so that baptism is imaged in the story of Noah. Baptism is imaged mm-hmm. in the story of uh, creation with the spirit hovering over the waters. It's mm-hmm. imaged in Naaman the Syrian. It's imaged in the crossing of the Reds. It's everywhere. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so being formed in this was. Um, I think I might have understood the arguments, but uh, you know, for baptism, like somebody could maybe come up with the proofs. But when you're hearing them as part of the life cycle of the church, it kind of gets uh-huh. into your blood in a new way, and that's why I think one of the biggest things about getting my sea legs in the church was learning that I was being. Whereas in my journey leading up to becoming Catholic, I was being Mm -hmm. informed. But once I Mm -hmm. came into the church, it was about being formed. Hmm. So in a sense, I had kind of processed the arguments and come to an intellectual assent that that this is where I need to be. But Mm -hmm. after that, there was a whole bunch of stuff that was happening to me that wasn't of an intellectual character. Uh, Once you start to kind of Mm -hmm. like eat, breathe, and sleep Catholicism and get into the rhythm, you start to realize that the Mass really is the whole of what it means to be a human being in relation to God kind of compacted into one thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what mm-hmm. what happens in the Mass? Uh, God creates creation. We take the stuff of creation and make it into things. We offer those things back to God. I mean, what do we pray mm-hmm. even over the bread and the wine? You know, fruit of the earth and the work of human hands, right? It's yeah. that thing yeah. that God gave that we do mm-hmm. something with. We give it to him. He perfects it, gives it back to us. We go out and take it to the world that he mm-hmm. made. It's this, mm-hmm. you start mm-hmm. to realize you're part of this whole, whole thing. And that's why when Catholics tell me, oh, you converts are such better Catholics because you know the arguments for whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I, you guys are formed. You've been marinating in this. You think about mm-hmm. things in a different way that you don't even realize that you think about them in a different way because of what the mass has done to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that, to mm-hmm. me, uh, was, was eye-opening. Just kind of understanding that the mass sort of, mm-hmm. it's not that, receiving the Eucharist does something to you because that's that's important and that's key and that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But the rhythm of how the whole thing is set up and orchestrated shapes the way that you oh, yeah. understand reality. Yeah, I, I, I just see so much of what you're saying and so much in my own experience of 25 years now. It's, it's just going into the church and then kneeling, which is something I didn't do as a Baptist, 
And then standing up and beginning, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, you know, confessing our sins and doing it all together. I I love the part, you know, and I ask Blessed Mary of a Virgin, all the angels and saints and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. You know how much ground gets covered in the Mass? It's insane (laughs) how much theological ground gets covered in the course of a Mass confession and then a prayer and then we're reading the scripture then we're hearing it you know yeah there's so much yeah it, it, it's as as you just said it, it's not just everything that it means to be a christian but everything that it means to be a human being made in the image of god is all there but you know what um i'll get my time in a few weeks so proceed. no i mean you're, you're not stealing anything from me by by mm-hmm. uh you know shining a spotlight on the the beauty of the mass it was such yeah. a different kind of experience um, than I was used to. And, and so so much so that, as I mentioned, I believe it was last week, that I was at first uh, put off by it, and I thought, what a disappointment. Um, because, you know, I, I was used to keying in on the performances, right? Mm-hmm. I was used to keying in on mm-hmm. how, how well the singing went or how good the preaching was. And to this day... <laughs> I mean, I still get pretty worked up over bad homilies and bad music. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Um, I'm not going to get into the liturgy wars here. Uh, That's, this isn't the place for it, but I was missing kind of the way that the whole thing is intended to be set up um, Mm -hmm. to help us understand who we are in relation to God, who we are in relation to one another, who we are in relation to creation. It's all built into the mass. Coming from traditions where it was so easy to have, the pastor be sort of the charismatic rock star or something like that. I even love the fact that priests all dress the same way in mass. They're all wearing green or they're all wearing this or all wearing that. It's it, it, it's almost like a way of of communicating. The person is almost anonymous, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, one one could come, one can go because we're not we're not there to uh, worship some rock star on the stage giving us the greatest sermon on earth. We're there to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even that speaks speaks that message to me. And in many ways, that is the hardest thing to communicate about Catholicism to somebody who comes from a background like the one I came from. And that continues to be a challenge for me uh, because I'm still in this space. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, I'm going to get all kinds of comments on, on this. I'm still in this space where I'm nervous about inviting certain people to Mass because I know how they're wired and I know what they expect mm-hmm. from a church service. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I know, objectively, if you put people before the Eucharist, strange things can happen. And <laughs> you just never know what the Lord's going to mm-hmm. do. But in, in other ways, like I'm, I value the Mass so highly and I understand what it is so much that I'm, I want mm-hmm. the circumstances to be almost perfect before I bring anybody else who I know who doesn't get that to experience mm-hmm. it because I yeah, fear that yeah. they'll say, you know, what I would have said, which is I've chosen my churches forever based on what kind of community is there, what kind of preaching is there, what kind of music is there. Mm-hmm. I feel like a whole bunch of my friends from that former life and family members even probably think that I just have terrible taste and that's what this is. Like, well, I guess Matt yeah, really yeah. doesn't know good music when he hears it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess Matt, you know, really, and, you know, is And of course the problem is... The problem too is that Catholic churches are Catholic churches are, are are uneven in the sense that there are some churches that you can go to that are extremely beautiful and where the mass is extremely beautiful and powerful, and then there are others that are not. And, and so you got all these things in mind. 
even right. apart from is the sermon going to really speak to this person I'm bringing? Are they going to be amazed yeah. by the music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know there was a kind of a continuum for me, uh, and this again, this whole episode's about becoming at home in the Catholic Church. You know, mm-hmm. I had that initial zeal where I was like, I figured it out, and so all the people who were stupid in the same way I was stupid, those are the ones I'm going to turn my cannons on, right? The people who were living in the same kind of fog I was in. I was maddest at them because I was maddest at myself, at, at my former self in those ways, and I got really zealous. Uh, it was a continuum between that and the, I kind of don't want to tell anybody about this because what if they go to mass, but they go to the wrong mass, right? And they don't go to the, <laughs> you know, they don't go to the one where they hear a dynamic preacher. And to this day, I'll hear some homily and I'm like, Oh gosh, I feel like if the right person was here right now and heard this, mm-hmm. they'd want to mm-hmm. become Catholic on the spot. Um, and that's it's it's a struggle not to want to kind of control those circumstances. Mm-hmm. But in fact, um, I had no control over those circumstances when I was coming in. I had no control over what the preaching or the music was going to be like. Um, so yeah, that's that's been an adjustment and a weird one. And I think too connected with that is the fact that. Um, one of the things very early on that uh, that was a struggle and then I had to kind of try and figure out is I know I got to be at mass even if I'm on vacation with my family and they're mm-hmm. all like, well, I'm just going to read my Bible by the water today and that's my church. Or even I'm going to, we're all going to read the Bible together by the water and that's going to be our church. Uh, mm-hmm. Making that adjustment and, and being like, no, I got to get to mass. Um <laughs> And and realizing that a bunch of people are going to think that's weird, or like being on vacation, which is like one of the only times I can consistently and regularly go to daily mass. Mm-hmm. Being on vacation, people are like, why is that guy going up? <laughs> why is he going to church? It's a Wednesday, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and you, yeah, and you're sneaking out in the morning. I'll be back soon. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right, feeling like I'm uh, going out to buy cigarettes or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's um, it's been an interesting thing, and I I found too that one of the things that I had to do is just make it clear that even if I couldn't explain why in every sort of theological detail that it was important that I go to mass uh, when I was visiting or out of town, um, it was important that I made it clear that it was a non-negotiable thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I found that that it goes over better, and this is a pro tip for anybody who's in this situation, <laughs> right? If you just say, uh, and matter of factly, well, we're going to be at mass at you know nine a.m., but we'll be back for whatever. So you know, if you got to do mm-hmm. this and that without us, don't worry, don't wait it on us. We'll, we'll be back. Yeah. You know, it's only going to be about an hour, and you, you just matter of fact uh, about it. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to like East, Easter and Christmas stuff, I've found that the way that you can definitely guarantee resistance uh, is if you say. Yeah, we were thinking about kind of maybe contemplating sort of getting the idea of perhaps going to Saturday afternoon mass. Like, that's a great way to get resistance. That's <laughs> a great way for people to be like, ah, no, what you, come, come on. on. Just, it's obviously yeah. not a big deal the way you put it, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But that was an adjustment. I think, too, uh, and this is, you know, kind of one of the the last things that I'll mention is just sort of adjusting mm-hmm. to the social climate of Catholicism. Um, I was used to, and I didn't even realize how much this was the case, uh, mm-hmm. always going to church. I mean, bear in mind, I always selected the church based on the kind of music that appealed to me, yeah. on 
a bunch of other things that were kind of wired to my own, mm -hmm. I guess you could say, consumer instincts. So all the mm -hmm. people in my church looked and acted and shopped and jammed and made the same yep. kind of money as me and often mm -hmm. were the same skin color as me and often were the same politics as me and adjusting to the reality that Catholicism levels it. I mean, it mm -hmm. levels all of it. You could be at a daily mass downtown in a big city and there could be a millionaire in front of you and a homeless person behind you. Yeah. And one's black and one's Filipino and like one's, you know, yeah. listening to country music and the other one's into opera. Like it's, it just levels all of that. And that was an adjustment too. Um, it's kind of trying to figure out where do I fit in the, I'm now, I'm not in a church anymore. I'm in the church. And how's yeah, that work? That sounds like a good adjustment though for you. The first year or so that, that, that I was Catholic, we attended St. Charles Borromeo, um, a parish in North Hollywood, and it was exactly like that. That was the parish that Bob Hope had attended for like 40 years or something, 50 years, 60 years. So his wife, you know, sitting over on the right is Dolores Hope, you know, who owns about half of the San Fernando Valley. And then to my left, there's Anthony Garcia, the movie star, because it's close to Hollywood, so there were people there. And then there's like a homeless guy sitting behind you. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, who was it who said that, or who kind of described the Catholic Church as "Here comes everyone"? Or, here, here comes. Yeah, it was everybody. James Joyce. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, okay. And some people use that in a disparaging way. It's like, oh, no, here comes the that. neighborhood, right? But I love it, and I, I love in, in some ways, it's helped me understand why community is not as open and welcoming as it was in my evangelical world mm -hmm. when I would go to churches, it's because the church is by nature more welcoming as a whole that it feels less welcoming. And I'll, let me explain that. Mm -hmm. It feels more welcoming in those evangelical churches because everybody we went, everybody who went there all had the same kind of stuff in common, right? Mm -hmm. In a mm -hmm. sense, it was extremely welcoming to a very certain kind of person, <laughs> right? right? And, and uh, because the church is welcoming across the board, like, I go to church all the time with people who I don't even know if they speak English, right? Right, right. Uh, Partly because, like, I come from a part of Maryland that's very international. So, um, and it kind of doesn't matter because of what the mass is. Uh, but it's been an adjustment. Nope. It's been an adjustment. And there are other things, too, I suppose you could say about getting my sea legs. Uh, just all the stupid social mistakes that I've made, all the... Well, you, know, you also learn... You learn that you have to make friends outside the mass because the mass is not a time when people are doing the backslap. That's not what it's for. And all that. It's not what it's for. It's a. It's an intense time of prayer and worship, and uh, so that's one thing you you learn is that you have to grab people in other contexts. Yeah, and coming in and or, thinking, yeah. you know, the common thing is like, uh, you know, I went to Bible college. I feel like I know more <laughs> than a lot of people here. What can I be put in mm -hmm. charge of? And then realizing that, like. <laughs> You know, that's an extremely spiritually prideful way to approach anything. Uh, but yeah. uh, but also just, yeah. I think, in general, um, when I would sin as a good Wesleyan and go down to the altar and, you know, in some ways it's a public thing, right, because there's the altar at the front of the church. Mm -hmm. It's technically the altar rail. We didn't have an altar, but we called the altar rail the altar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, sin being a public thing, as in the thing you have to say out loud to another human being in the act of confession, big adjustment. Uh, but um, 
a humbling one and and it saved my life yeah. probably a few times over um mm-hmm. knowing that the church has set things up that way but uh i mean overall i've made a bunch of uh awkward mistakes i've uh when we do our retreats I, this is often when i, I bust out you, my top I 10 list you, i find you extremely awkward actually oh good so at least I have a an accurate opinion I'm, of myself. That's consoling. Yeah, 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 I'm confirming the things you've said. Yeah, but um, in this session of the retreats, I often break out my top ten yeah. signs that you yeah. might be a Catholic convert. And it's all the awkward stuff that, you know, when you sing out robustly in mass and realize that nobody else can, is sitting maybe, beside you. Or maybe you can share that next week as we launch into probably. Maybe we'll have to do that. Your, probably your closing episode probably next week on your story. Yeah. If you've ever um, pronounced a uh, theological word or concept or a saint's name wrong because you've only ever read it in a book and never heard it pronounced out loud, you might be a convert. You might you be know. a convert, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think okay. that's one of the things that, that uh, you know, so often people will be like, oh, this person's coming into the church, you know, this year you should have them on the journey home or whatever. I'm like, pump right. the brakes. There's things you just can't know. Like you think you know why you became Catholic when you walk forward at the Easter vigil Mm -hmm. and you realize down the road, you didn't even realize at the time why you were becoming Catholic. You thought you knew. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just reason, there's just ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I recorded the journey home back in 2011 and I go back and watch it now. I'm like, that's not why I became Catholic. (laughs) None of that that (laughs) stuff is why I became Catholic, Uh, Uh, but I didn't know it at the time. mm -hmm. There's just certain things that you just can't know about the process until you've, sort of worn it a little bit. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. That's all, so. folks. Okay. You sound like Forrest Gump now. I guess I do. I guess I and do. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. Well, why don't you wrap it up then, and we'll come back next week and uh, carry on. All right. Sounds good. Um, I feel like every week is just like, just bearing my soul, Ken. And uh, thank you for being an understanding co-host on uh, Brother right. Ken's Traveling Salvation Show. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, but if you uh, connect with any of this particular episode, uh, if you want to reach out to us, please do come to community.chnetwork.org. That's really the place where we have our online community. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a sort of closed space where we can you know, ask all of our dumb questions and nobody will make fun of us. Uh, but then, again, if you want to become Catholic, that's... You know, something we can help you with too. But if you're a pastor specifically from any tradition and is interested in <clears throat> perhaps going on one of these retreats that we're modeling this series after, <coughs> we do have scholarships available for um, for pastors to help get you there and put you up. So please do reach out to us, chnetwork.org slash retreats for information on that. I'm Matt Swaim. Ken Hensley, thank you again. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. It's man. always a pleasure. Until then. Until then. Until then.